My name is Ashish Jha, and I'm a professor of health policy at the Harvard Chan School of Public Health, and I'm the director of the Harvard Global Health Institute. And welcome to a series of podcasts that I will be doing with my colleague and friend, Patrick Whitney, that we are calling Designing Health. Patrick, uh, for those of you who heard our podcast uh, that the School of Public Health did, um, is a leading design scholar, arguably the, the leading design scholar in the country. He is a new professor in residence of design and public health at the Harvard Chan School. And he and I have been speaking about design, uh, what it is, what it isn't, and its applications to public health. And my hope is that over the next four sessions today and the three podcasts that are to follow, um, we take on public health issues. We discuss things like cigarette smoking and smoking cessation, HIV and diabetes and Ebola. And what do these big public health problems have to do with design? And I believe that Patrick and the way that he thinks about problems has a lot to offer, a lot to offer how we uh, approach these issues, how we solve these problems, how we make progress. And so, Patrick, I am delighted that you've agreed to be on this journey with us, and thank you for being part of this. Thank you. Happy to be part of it. It's very exciting. So, Patrick, in today's session, I want to talk about cigarettes. 1964, okay, so about 45, no, 55 years ago, uh, the Surgeon General comes out with a landmark report that says smoking is bad for your health. Now, there had been a lot of evidence and a lot of thinking about this beforehand. Um, but that was the landmark report that many of us look to as really changing the national conversation on tobacco. And at that time, about four out of every 10 adults, 42% of Americans smoked. The good news is through all sorts of interventions, we have driven that number down. And in 2017, the last year that we have the data, 14% um, of Americans smoked. So that's progress. And we see this as one of the big areas of progress in public health today. But I want to lay out a problem for you in this progress, and I want to see if we can use that as a launching point for our discussion about how design can help us think a little differently about public health. And that's the following. If we're back in 1964 and we looked at who smoked, there was not much of a social gradient. Whether you were a college professor or a construction worker, whether you made a million dollars a year or you made $10,000 a year, it didn't make a big difference in terms of your likelihood of smoking. 40, 50% smoking rates across all parts of the population. Fast forward to 2017, there is a large social gradient. 4% of people who live in households with somebody with a graduate degree smokes, only 4%. If you're somebody who has not completed high school, your chances of smoking are about six times higher. So what's interesting is that in this incredible public health success story of reducing smoking, we've actually managed to create a huge social, a social gradient. And um, it's now the poor, the people who have lower levels of education who smoke. I'm wondering, as you hear this story, Patrick, what are your reflections? What, what do you hear in that trajectory between 42 to 14, but now a new social gradient 
that means that the smokers are primarily poor and less educated. Well, one thing it obviously means is that people are different, and they're driven by different things. Um, more educated people might respond better to factual um, uh, information and to uh, logical arguments. They're driven by emotional factors as well and cultural factors. Uh, the, the reasons for smoking, there probably isn't one reason for smoking. There's probably several reasons for smoking. And there's probably reasons for starting it and for keeping it up. And there are reasons for quitting. And understanding that, that cacophony or that mosaic, if it has some sort of pattern to it, of users' aspirations and what do they want, is key to this understanding. So let me let me build on that a little bit. Um, so I'm a clinician, as you know, and when I'm in the hospital and I see a patient who smokes, um, I feel like it's my obligation to bring it up, no matter what brought them into the hospital. And I will say, you know, after I've gone and addressed their health problem and we've talked about the problem, so I'll say, I have one more thing to talk about, and that's your smoking. And everybody looks at me, and they know it's coming. And they all say, yeah, yeah, no, I know it's bad for me. And I'm like, yeah, we all know it's bad. It probably causes them to postpone doctor's appointments. <laughs> well, it's actually a little bit of evidence that when doctors bring it up, it actually increases people's motivation for, for quitting. But it's a very small effect. Um, but does it increase their motivation for seeing the doctor? It may not. It may keep them away. Um, but what's interesting about this is that the problem is not that people don't know. Like, I have not yet encountered somebody who said, I didn't know smoking was bad for me. So this is not a knowledge problem. And what's interesting also is that what you said was that knowledge and facts and data may have actually been a force for creating inequality in our society on this issue. Yeah, a strong argument can be made that the phrase seeing is believing is backwards. And it might be much more truthful to follow the rule of believing is seeing. We see something when we believe in it. So tell me more about how that relates to this. Well, it causes skepticism and, about, and different interpretations of logical, factual information. Okay. And so among cigarette smokers, people who are still smoking today, despite all the evidence and all the knowledge that, that smoking is bad for you, um, what does it mean about our public health approaches? And what does it mean for me as a doctor to try to address this issue? Public for health lives in statistics, as, as much as public health lives in statistics. So it's looking for the general patterns and norms. But people live their life in particular situations. So if you're a poor person in America today, say a 55-year-old white guy in the Midwest, yeah. Your life is not very pretty for the most part if you don't have a high school education. It used to be. You used to be able to get a good job for your whole life at General Motors. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden, smoking becomes not the biggest problem in your life. Mm. If you fix smoking, your life doesn't get demonstrably better because there's all these other problems with it, too. Yeah. Uh, so that would be, that would decrease the motivation for stopping smoking because your life is going to be bad anyway. So for, just so I finish this thought, um, you're saying for somebody who, for whom smoking may be their biggest health risk, right? 
um, they're maybe more motivated to take on smoking because it's a huge. But for somebody who's got much other, I'm sorry, much bigger set Can't of challenges, right? Then smoking may not be your may not be priority number one. Exactly, and it may be the moment of relaxation and calmness in your otherwise uh, threatening and chaotic daily life. Yeah, it it relates to the starting of smoking too. I'm guessing amongst many people, they started smoking because it was a cool thing to do with teenage friends. Most people who smoke started in their teenage years, often pre-teen years, but certainly in their teenage years. If the if the kids are aspiring to be cool and to be that's socially what, connected... That's what kids are doing. What if we explored ways of giving them other ways of doing that other than smoking? Yeah. So that they aren't... We don't treat them as people to be punished or have their behaviors modified to what we want them to behave like. But instead, we gave them other options for being cool that didn't kill them. Yeah. So it's a different approach than the one we've taken. In public health, the primary approach has been let's tax cigarettes because kids tend to be pretty price sensitive. They don't have a lot of money. And so if you make cigarettes more expensive, it's going to reduce. Right. And there is evidence that that works. Uh, and then let's do things like ban tobacco advertising, certainly advertising this targeting kids. It's a problem that needs to be attacked. We can form a military campaign to right. go after it. But it's worked, Patrick. Like we've gone from 42% to 14%. So I don't know, like that, that we've cut it by two thirds. That feels like success. In many ways it is success, but we want to do better than that. We want to help people who have any inclination not to smoke to be to find a way to not smoke. Yeah. So let me ask you this. I'm a public health official, let's say, and I'm trying to figure out how to drive that 14% down. And I'm aware of the fact that the rates are much higher for people who didn't finish high school than they are for people who have a graduate degree. My approach would be, I would go out, I would do surveys of these people, try to figure out why they're smoking, and then try to address those issues. How does design see this problem. So if you're a design expert, design scholar, I've laid out the problem. One in seven adults still smoke. It's predominantly among people who have less education. Um, the, the public health response is survey them, tax them, get them to change their behavior. How does a design-based approach deal with this problem? Well, it doesn't, it doesn't start by focusing on the product or the use of the product. It looks at everything that surrounds the product and the use of the product. Huh. So what surrounds smoking? Um, social coolness, um, physiological stimulation, um, moments of relaxation. Uh, we would look at those issues, social coolness, physiological stimulation, and uh, Relaxation. And relaxation and see how people do that and yeah. what we can learn from that. The problem as given is in complicated issues is seldom the real problem. Um, the, what designers frequently do is abstract the problem where uh, switch industries for a minute to the automobile industry. The problem isn't a better car or a better truck, the problem is how do you help people be mobile? 
how you help people get things and themselves around to different places. When you abstract the problem like that, you open it up to many, many more solutions. And you open up the scope of the research studies to a much broader area than when you do a survey about smoking and about people who smoke. So what you're saying is abstracting it is trying to understand in a more deep and fundamental way what is motivating people to do this. Yes, what's the real goal here? So one, there's one problem which I, I'm going to set aside for a second that we'll have to come back to it, and that's just addiction. Right. A lot of people are just addicted. They're physically addicted, psychologically and physiologically addicted. It's very difficult to quit smoking. Right. Um, that's got its own issues, and we can come back to that. Um, but how do we... So what's wrong with my approach, my kind of public health approach of saying, I'm going to survey these people, I'm going to figure out why they're smoking, and then I'm going to attack. Like, what's an alternative approach that you would take in order to understand those issues like relaxation and whatever else is mo motivating? Um, I, I would look at the activities that surround smoking. Yep. So. And how would you do that? I would. There are various ways you can do it. You can do... Uh, uh, tag along days where you live with heavy smokers for a few days mm. and watch what they do. Um, but can I get what I need just by asking them, doing surveys? No, they don't know. They, they, or they will answer what they think you want to hear. They will answer with what they believe to be true. Um, I'd be shocked if they told the truth about the amount they smoke every day. And I'd be shocked if they, when thinking of stopping smoking, they would say, well, you know, I really have a problem with relaxation and physiological stimulation. Fair. They, they don't think of it that way. Yeah. But they act that way. Yeah. And noticing those actions and finding patterns within those actions allows design to come up with new answers that in this case, might fit into their lives and help them choose the right path rather than think of them as people who need to be corrected. So instead of seeing this as a fault of theirs and we can, and we can identify through questions what is driving their faulty behavior. And explain to them in logical fashion. And explain to them in logic, right. need to mend their ways. And then try to intervene. Your take is observe them. Um, watch what they do, not what necessarily what people say. And, and you do that for everybody trying to right. address this problem. And then let's say you come up with your theories. You have theories that say, well, actually, it looks like the smoking goes up a lot at the end of a very stressful day. Right. And now you have a conjecture that this is about relaxation as much as it is about anything else. Yes. What happens next? You keep poking around until you start to notice patterns. Okay. And, you, and you find the patterns by observing. You move from factual observations. For example, a, a certain number, a fair number of people bum cigarettes from off, the, off their friends. They don't buy them. Yeah. You might observe something else that some people smoke in a particular part of the day and not other parts of the day. Yeah. And you don't know what those observations mean. Yeah. But when you have a hundred of them and you and it's all surrounded the activities 
they're all surrounding activities that relate to smoking, you can start to look for similarities between those hundred observations and you see new patterns. So for example, yep. I don't know if public health has looked at the moment of purchasing cigarettes. When people, well, I, when presume, I presume just when they run out. Right. So when is there something that might be able to be done where when you can, at the sales counter of the cigarette store, there's not an ad saying this is going to kill you. Could have that, but let's put that aside for a moment. And instead, someone can do something else with that money. So the the c cigarette retailer keeps a bank account for the person, mm. and they get a reward at the counter for growing this little savings account that is maybe for their kid's education. Yeah. Now, I have no idea yeah, yeah. if that's the right answer. It's probably a crazy answer. But it's probably not an answer that most public health researchers would decide to ask questions about. Not classically. You know, it reminds me of, a, of something I do do, which is um, when I'm talking to patients about smoking, they know I'm going to tell them it's bad for their health, and, and, and of course they already know that. Um, I often start with, hey, how much is a pack of cigarettes these days? And people will say, eight bucks or ten bucks. And I'll say, huh. So what are you smoking, about a pack a day? And they're like, yeah. So I'm like, wow, it's about three grand a year. Probably no other way you could imagine spending $3,000 a year. If I just wrote you a $3,000 check, you couldn't imagine right. how to spend that, could you? And people are like, of course I can. And then I said, but I understand, you'd rather just give it to Philip Morris, which they probably will use it better than any way you can. So I try to create this yeah. sense of like, you're giving all this money. Yeah, so you're making them feel that they're not only bad, but they're stupid. So, okay, <laughs> you're right, that, that is what I'm doing. <laughs> but, so maybe they I shouldn't do the, that. They just want a cigarette. <laughs> they, maybe, relax. So maybe I shouldn't do that. <laughs> what I try to do is I highlight for them what the financial cost is. I'm not actually trying to make anybody feel stupid. Right, I but know you're not. No, so maybe that's the wrong approach. So what's, what's the right approach to understand? Because for a lot of these poor Help people... Help kids be cool without smoking. Yeah. Help people relax without smoking. Uh, help people um, enjoy friendship with uh, other people without smoking. Yeah. There are other ways of doing it. So give people alternatives. Give people alternatives. And the point is, you don't know what those alternatives are when you start the project. Well, so this you is where I was, You yeah. discover them as you observe what people do. Okay. So that means you can't define the goal. You can, at a general level, the yep. goal is stop smoking. Yep. But you can't define the, the, the offering, what you're going to do at the beginning of the project. And yep. most institutions, most companies in the healthcare industry doesn't like that. Yeah. They want to know what they want to know what the answer is and then the process is how do you optimize it towards the answer. In design, you want to know what the general answer area of the answer is going to be in the general area is and then you discover as you go what the particular answer is going to be. And so Let's say you, let me ask you a couple of questions on this. So let's say you you do observation, you see patterns. First of all, how do you know those patterns are right? How do you know you're not just seeing patterns where there may just be noise? You think it's about relaxation, but maybe it's not. Um, 
presumably that happens. Yes, uh, that's not the end state. You don't. The patterns don't drive um, the final answer. The patterns drive the set of prototypes. So tell me more. Done early in the process, not prototypes for testing the producibility of something or the acceptability of something, but prototypes that allow people to interact with something so you can learn more about the people. So in this case, give them prototypes that might help them in a social occasion or give them prototypes for, to teens that help them be cool without... Um, without cigarettes. Without cigarettes. I mean, t teens have different activities. Most of them are mysterious to people like you and I. <laughs> but they have activities that they're proud of achieving. Yep. Uh, create some sort of badging system that maybe exists only on phones and can be shared with their friends and not their family, probably. Yep. Um, where they can show off the competencies they've got in understanding the music of a particular band or knowing which restaurants are cool to hang out in. One of the things that I, and, and you alluded to this, one of the things that I've learned from you on thinking about design is <clears throat> the, the role of prototyping. So we were just talking about prototyping and prototyping potential solutions, not to quitting smoking, but to the alternatives that smoking is trying to achieve, right? For right. people. And I've always thought of prototypes as like an approach to testing a solution. Yes, that's a normal way of thinking of it. And what I have learned from you is that you think of prototypes as much about learning the nature of the problem as it is about testing a solution. Yes, and it's about making sure members of the team that come from different backgrounds, which is what most teams are formed uh, like, um, understand each other. You know, frequently in, in the development of new innovations, late in the process, months into it, you hear phrases like, oh, I didn't know that's what you meant. And that's when the first prototypes start to emerge. Yep. It's much you're not going to get rid of that statement, but it's much better to get that statement in the first week or two than in month five. Right. So what's interesting about this is, in many ways, you're flipping a bunch of issues on its head. So again, we take go back to smoking. The standard approach is we identify the smokers, you identify the risk factors like poor education, you ask people why they're smoking, and then you try to come up with solutions and you test them. And if they've seen promising on a small scale, then you scale it at, at a national right. level. That's a classic public health approach. It works. I mean, it's not like it's a terrible well, approach. If, if I'm understanding you correctly, it has worked until we've gotten to this core group. That seems... and, and it works in other areas, and, and it's not a bad approach. But the, the places where I see you going differently is instead of showing up and asking people, hey, why do you smoke? And and here are my eight theories of why you might smoke, let me see if you agree with them, is you observe people. Right. Second is instead of, again, getting people to assign explanation, you make your own conjecture about explanations, yes. what you think the person is doing. And you've, you've put so little investment in it that you're willing to throw it out. And that's the best part, is that it's totally fine if you're wrong. Yes. And then you use prototypes, not necessarily just to test solutions,
but to test whether your ideas of what's even causing the problem are right. Correct. And you're good with failure. You're, in fact, failure is kind of an expectation of the process. Failing failure is one of the things we do. Yeah. And, um, and emerges out of all of that is what? A set of approaches that you think are going to be far more effective? And what emerges out of that is um, a set of criteria for success. So it might be number of people um, choosing to stop smoking and take up some other activity instead to achieve the real aspiration. Yeah. Um, so set of criteria. Uh, second would be um, think of how they fit into a system. So think of a system of wanting a cigarette, buying a cigarette, consuming a cigarette, feeling guilty about smoking, and everything else that surrounds that. All of these problems exist in the system of some sort, and frequently the problem doesn't lie at the node of the system that is the problem. Frequently it lies, it, it, it lies in other places. Explain that a bit more. Um, well, it relates back to the idea of abstraction. Take the car industry again. Um, if you do research about people in cars, you get back information about people in cars. Uh, if you look at how people get around and move around, you get information that you can use to make bigger changes in cars than you're going to get from the information when you did the research about cars. Mm -hmm. So it is really getting at the heart of what's driving people's behavior and not what you think or what people themselves might think they need to do. Yes, it's looking at their aspirations and the problems they have in meeting those aspirations. Great. So teenagers aspire to be cool. The way they, some of them achieve it is through smoking. Let's try and give them some other means. And people look for opportunities for relaxation and let's find other ways of yes. helping people achieve that. Um, this has been a really great conversation, Patrick, and, and I think it's a reminder um, that while standard public health approaches are incredibly powerful and, and can do enormous good, um, we often get stuck at moments where we really need to reconceptualize the problem. And one of the things I have found so powerful about design is it doesn't always lead us to the solutions. And this is a line you say, and I quote you on this, um, but it often helps us reframe the question. Yes. And your argument on smoking is, we probably need to spend as much time reframing the question for people who continue to smoke as we do looking for answers. Yeah, well, the problem is really difficult because people aren't behaving the way you predict or where the information changes or it seems irrational. This approach helps you wade through that fuzziness, that helps you wade through the fog. Patrick, this was really helpful and a lot of fun. Thanks so much for taking the Thank time. Thank you.